This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is www.gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. As you're moving to your seats, if you could open up your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This book is becoming one of my favorite New Testament books. Wouldn't have been that before we got started, but the more I'm studying and learning, the more I'm fascinated and, uh, and seeing how really penetratingly um, this book addresses us today. And it's almost like it was written today and not 2,000 years ago. The Word of God has that character quality. It is a live word for us today and this this one in particular. So I'm going to read verses 19 through 25 of chapter 1, and then we will uh, get to work at working our way through the text and making some application on the subject of application. So verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your holy word to us, and we pray today that you would speak to us. Lord, we pray this prayer regularly, coming from this text, that we would be clear hearers, good hearers, faithful hearers, eager hearers, but we also desire to be doers, those who put into practice what we hear. So Lord, would you speak to us today very clearly, and would you grant us grace to respond to you and do what we hear from your scripture today? Thank you that you are a speaking God, that you're not hiding, that you are not um, leaving it to us to figure things out, but you are a speaking God. So, Lord, speak this morning. Give me strength to communicate your word faithfully and clearly. And, uh, Lord, I I pray nothing short of life change for us, that you would change us as we hear your word and as we walk out of here to put into practice what we hear today. May that be the case. Lord, guard us from self deception and lead us into the blessing that is found in hearing and doing your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've talked about the fact that James's overriding concern in this letter is practical Christianity, an applied Christianity. James's concern, God's concern through James's pen, as the Holy Spirit inspired this in all letters in the New Testament, all the Bible, but the, the concern has been that there that there be an applied Christianity, that those who hear this not only believe the right things, 
not only have an orthodoxy, but also have an, an appropriate practice, that they do the right things, an orthopraxy, that we do the right things in response to God's Word, that we not be those who merely say that we're Christians, or we might not be those who merely hear about Christianity without being changed by the truth of Scripture. This theme is found throughout the book. But in many ways, this passage here today is sort of a a highlight. It's probably the most well-known section in the letter. But it's sort of a highlight of crystallizing the theme of God's heart for his church through James and his writing. I'm probably going to say that same thing next week as well as we talk more about application. I may say, hey, this is the highlight of the book. And if I do, just forget that I'm saying it now. I might say it next week. I mean, every week as we get going, I'm like, wow, this is the highlight. But this really is the theme that that we apply what we hear, that we live what we hear, that we be changed by what we hear. And that is a a vital word for us today as Christians. If you're here as a Christian, this is a vital word for us because we live in an age where we are inundated, overwhelmed with truth, with material and access to truth. I mean, you can get every kind of study Bible possible, imaginable. Um, There's just multiple translations of Scripture available to us. There's all kinds of Christian books that are written. Excellent. Many excellent sound doctrinal books. And it's just, I find myself in a race just to keep up. Have you read this? Have you read that? Have you read that? No, I can't read it all. There's just so much out there. There's a, just a ton of material. There's Christian blogs that you can read and be edified by. There's Christian conferences. And one thing that makes our day distinct from really any time in history, I'd say distinct from even five years ago, is that you can now access and download sermons from all over the world. You don't have to buy a CD. You don't have to uh, send in and mail to get some package. You just receive it directly. I mean, you can just have it delivered to you on a weekly basis. And so you could be a consumer of sermons all day, every day. You could pick all your favorite teachers and get their material and just have tons and tons of teaching material. So we live in an age, unlike any other age, with an access to hearing God's Word or hearing God's Word taught to us. And so this, 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 this teaching, even this warning that's found in this passage is, I think, critical for us and right on target for us. Sometimes we're a little bit familiar with the story he tells here, the kind of parable or analogy that he uses of the hearer and doer, and maybe even that language. I want to be a hearer and a doer. Sometimes we get somewhat familiar with that. And I read an illustration this last week uh, that was from uh, Chuck Swindoll, a local pastor here that we're certainly thankful for and respect him for his faithful years of ministry. And I'm thankful that, well, I'm just thankful that that for that church where he is in our community that we have, I didn't plan to say this, but it's a blessing on our city that the largest church in our city, from what I know, is a church that is preaching God's word and is led by a man who's been faithful in ministry for years. So um, I'm grateful for that. That's God's blessing because we could have a lot of other things dominating our city, but to have faithful Bible teaching dominating our city, that's God's favor on us in Frisco and in that community as well. And I'm thankful for, I don't know him personally, but I'm thankful for his example of years of faithful teaching God's word. Um, But this is what he wrote communicating about the issue of being a hearer and a doer. He says, let's pretend that you work for me. He's going to use a marketplace analogy. Let's pretend that you work for me. In fact, you are my executive assistant in a company 
that is growing rapidly. I'm the owner, and I'm interested in expanding overseas. To pull this off, I make plans to travel abroad and stay there until the new branch office gets established. I make all the arrangements to take my family and the move to Europe for six to eight months, and I leave you in charge of the busy stateside organization. I tell you that I will write to you regularly and give you direction and instructions. Uh, this analogy was written in the 70s, so it's a bit dated. Uh, I mean, who writes letters anymore, right? Sad but true. Who writes letters? So, but what it is is he's, he's saying, I own this company. I'm going to Europe, and you're going to run the company stateside in my absence, and you're going to receive sort of your marching orders or your directions to run the company via letter. So just think back in time and imagine. Boys and girls, that's where people like wrote something down or typed something on a typewriter, put it in an envelope, and sent it through the postal service. Um, so that's his means of communicating. This is what he says. I leave and you stay. Months pass. A flow of letters are mailed from Europe and received by you at the national headquarters of the company. I spell out all my expectations. Finally, I return soon after my arrival. I drive down to the office. I'm stunned. Grass and weeds have grown up high. A few windows along the street are broken. I walk into the receptionist's office, and she's doing her nails, chewing cum, and listening to the radio station. I I look around and notice that wastebaskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed for weeks, and nobody seems concerned that the owner has returned. I ask about your whereabouts, and someone in the crowded lounge area points down the hall and yells, I think he's down there. Disturbed, I move in that direction and bump into you is you're finishing a chess game with our sales manager. I ask you to step in my office, which has now temporarily been turned into the television room for daytime viewing. I I ask you, what in the world is going on? What do you mean? Well, well, look at this place. Didn't you get any of my letters? You respond, letters? Oh, yeah. We got every one of your letters. As a matter of fact, we have had a letter study every Friday night since you left. We've even divided the personnel into small groups and have discussed your letters, the things you wrote. Some of those things are really very interesting. You'll be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences And some of your paragraphs from the letters you sent. One or two employees have memorized an entire letter. Great stuff in those letters. Okay, you got my letters. You studied them and meditated on them, discussed them, even memorized them. But did you do anything about them? Do? Uh, We didn't do anything. It's a telling story, isn't it? Receiving instruction, being enamored by instruction, being a letter junkie, a truth junkie, a knowledge junkie, discussing knowledge, discussing truth, fascinated by it, and yet never applying it. That is James's concern here, is that we be good hearers and faithful hearers, but that we also put into practice what we hear. Because the point is that God changes us when we are hearing doers of His Word. 
Think about that. That's a made-up word. Hearing hyphen doers. Hearing doers. We, when we hear and act upon what we hear, God changes us through those means. The passage we're looking at here talks about the word. And I want to make this point because it's important to note. When he starts out in verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let each person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Sometimes that passage is just kind of taken out of its context as a general wisdom statement, and it is true, that we should be slow to speak, we should be good listeners, we shouldn't make rash statements, and we shouldn't be angry. All of that's true, and we even find those kinds of statements made in Proverbs. But I don't think that he's just generically talking about draw people out, be patient, don't be hasty with judgments. I don't think that's really what he's talking about here, because the context is the word. Look at verse 18. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. The preceding verse to this says this. Context is important. The preceding verse says, you have new spiritual life through the word of truth. The Word of God came to you, and it gave you new life. You were brought forth. It's birth language. You were brought forth. You were born again as the Word of God came to you, and God made your spirit alive and gave you new life. So the immediate context is the Word of truth. But the following context is that as well. Verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word. So we're still talking about the Word before this hearing and after this hearing. Verse 22, be doers of the word. Verse 25, uh, the one who looks into the perfect law, another word for word, the law of liberty. The teaching, the law is being referred to here as the teaching of God. The word can be used more broadly rather than just sometimes we think of legal code in the Old Testament. But the word law is broadly God's word at points, like Psalm 119, where there's an entire psalm of worship for God's law, but broadly his word is what's in view there. So the word of God is what's in view, and he's talking about being a hearer of the word, that's the first section, and being a doer of the word, that's the second section. Um, And as we are hearing doers of the word, God changes us. So we're going to talk about hearing the word first. What I'd like to do is sort of work through this text, try to explain it a little bit, and then pull it together at the end, this section about hearing. He says... Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So whether we are reading the Scripture, hearing the Scripture taught to us through preaching, whether we are reading the Bible in our own personal life, our own study, our own devotional life, we're to do so as those who are quick to hear, those who are eager, those who are hungry or thirsty, leaning forward, anticipating God speaking to us from what we hear. And we're to realize that that hearing is ultimately to lead to life change for us. He says in verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word, the word of God, you know, implanted in us. Receive that. So here is one, here, H-E-A-R, as one who is receiving the word of God. And that's what brings about life change. Be slow to speak. Life change doesn't come with rash speech. Life change doesn't come with human anger. It's not when we respond in our own efforts. It's not when we respond in our own self-sufficiency, make our own proclamations, demand our own way in anger, that life change occurs. For he says, the anger of man, verse 20, does not produce the righteousness that God requires. So if we want to live a life that's reflective of 
God's righteousness, it's not going to happen through our quick speech and our anger. It's going to happen through our quick listening and our eager listening and our receiving the word implanted. He goes on to say in verse 21, Therefore, because we're to be quick to hear and not to respond to things, truth, or we're not to be those who are responding quick with our own speech, but quick to receive, quick to hear. He says in verse 21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. This putting away is a phrase that means stripping off. It speaks of clothing. Sometimes in other places in the Scripture we hear, put this off and put this on. Paul talks that way. Put off certain sins and put on certain godly practices. Paul speaks that way. So here he's saying, put off, strip away filthiness and rampant wickedness. Uh, The rampant wickedness is the pervasive sin all around us culturally, the pervasive sin stemming in our own flesh, our own hearts as well and receive with meekness. So he doesn't say strip off sin and put on uh, something else. He basically says take all these things off, get them out of the way, and receive God's Word. That you are to receive the implanted Word. You're to get rid of the weeds that will clutter your hearing. Various sins in our life, the pursuit of sin, the indulgence of the flesh, it clouds our hearing. It acts as weeds. The implanting he's talking about here is an agricultural metaphor. Receive the word implanted, the seed of the words planted in our heart. But there are certain things that can hinder the growth of that. And when we give ourselves over to the flesh and we indulge and feed the flesh instead of the spirit, that hinders us from growing. But instead, clear that stuff out. Don't be quick to speak, be quick to listen and receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, that can sound a little funny because we're thinking, well, I'm already, if I'm a Christian, I'm already saved. My soul's already been saved. You know, we can think that way. And that's true, um, but in another way, it's not true in that your salvation is not complete. You have been saved in a sense, but you haven't been completely, finally saved yet. We have been saved in the past tense in that when you turn from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are, your sins are washed away. You're declared right. That's justified. You're declared right with God. But the Bible also makes it clear we're not perfect. The minute you believe in Christ as your Savior, you're not in heaven. And so we live a lifestyle of being saved. That is growing in holiness, being conformed to the image of Christ. Um, being changed into what God's already declared us to be, righteous. So we've been declared righteous, but we still sin. And so God's changing us along the way. And so that's our present tense being saved. And it leads to a future day of salvation when Christ will return and institute a new heavens and a new earth and we'll have glorified resurrection bodies and we'll be ultimately, completely, finally, absolutely, experientially saved as we see Christ face to face and there's no more sin, no more suffering or anything of the sort. So this salvation is not only spoken of in the Bible in the past tense, it can be present in future as well. And here he's talking to Christians. I mean, look at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Okay, he's speaking to Christians. The implanted word is able to save your souls. So how does that work? You're a Christian. You've been come to new life as you heard the preaching of the gospel and you believed by the power of the Spirit. You've come to new life by the Word of God. The Word of God, as you hear it, is implanted in you, and it's to grow and bear fruit in you. And it has the power to save your soul in an ongoing way to sanctify you, is what he's saying, that you may grow in holiness. 
So this is wonderful. God's plan for changing us is not our, somehow like uh, our smart speech or our demands, our anger or something like that. He's saying clear out all the sin and just receive the word of God humbly, the NIV says, with meekness, the ESV here. Receive the word of God humbly and be changed by it. And as soon as he says that, you can almost anticipate somebody say, well, that's great. I'm going to go download some more sermons. I'm going to buy some books on the way out. I'm going to read my Bible tomorrow morning because all I've got to do, if I just get this in here, then I'm changed. And he very quickly says, hold on. Before you go down that road, verse 22, yes, be a good hearer of the word, but also, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's great to hear, James says. It's wonderful to hear, lean forward, eager to hear, and have faith for what God can do in your life through the Word of God, but it's not enough to hear. As a matter of fact, he gives a warning, and the warning is that if you listen to the Word of God, and I think it'd be appropriate to say if you read the Word of God as well, if you listen or read the Word of God without response, it leads to deception. Now, how can that be? He is not saying there's anything deceptive about the Word of God. The Scripture is perfect. It is flawless in every detail. It is inspired. It is breathed out by God. It is absolute, 100% truth. It is without error. But you can expose yourself to the truth. That's what this passage says. You can expose yourself to the truth and end up deceived. How is that? Verse 22, be, if you, be a doer of the word, I'm sorry, yeah, 22, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourselves. You deceive yourself, he says, if you only expose yourself to the truth of Scripture without acting upon the truth of Scripture. Now, what he's not saying is be a good listener because if you're a bad listener, you'll get deceived. No, he's saying, he's not contrasting being a good hearer and a bad hearer. He's contrasting being a good hearer who acts and what he calls a hearer only. That's the contrast. So don't be a hearer only of the Word of God. See, what can happen is that we can, we can be exposed to truth and then we can somehow think by being exposed to truth we're being changed. We can sort of feel good about ourselves. We can have an emotional experience when we hear a sermon or sing some of the songs we sang this morning. And we can think, boy, I'm changed. I'm different. I'm thinking clearly now. It seems like on Sunday mornings I think clearly. We sing these songs. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's good. And a guy gets up here and says some stuff from the Bible, and it's like, oh, yeah. And you agree. Maybe you even affirm it confidently and strongly. But, but James says, by the power of the Spirit speaking through him, it's don't, don't assume that you are making progress because you're hearing, because if that's the case, you will deceive yourself. The Puritan Thomas Manton said, men are easily deceived into a good opinion of themselves by their bare hearing. By only hearing, I assume I am being changed by being a hearer only. But God changes us when we are hearing doers of his word. Now, I I don't want to camp on this issue of deception or make you primarily walk out of here aware of deception because I don't think that's the heart of the passage but I think it's a strong warning and I think it's a necessary warning because it's possible to be self-deceived and not know that you're deceived as a matter of fact 
If you know that you're deceived, you're not deceived because you know that you're deceived. <laughs> Deception presupposes unawareness. To be deceived, you're unaware of it. And so the reality is that all of us, I'm not trying to spur fear here, but the reality is that all of us have pockets of deception in our lives where we don't really have an accurate assessment of our character or of our maturity or of our level of conformity to the image of Christ. And oftentimes where there's a, where there's a gap between what I think of myself and where I really am, often that gap is because I've heard things and not acted upon them. Usually that's what the gap is. We're not talking about knowledge, how much I know. We're talking about what my person is really like. What am I putting into practice? See, we can come into a meeting like this and feel wonderful feelings and think godly thoughts. I mean, I do. I've heard a lot of sermons where I was like, wow, I just feel like that. I hear that. I think it's so powerful. That's wonderful. I feel like I'm so close to God right now. I must be different. I will probably never sin again. This is such a holy moment. Or you sing in some song and you just find yourself emotionally drawn in and you say, I love the Lord so much. And that's genuine. I'm not saying that's insincere. That's genuine. I'm so, right now in this moment, I am so close to the Lord. Lord, let's just maintain this moment. I'm sure I'm going to maintain this moment. I'm going to walk out of here and everything's going to be different because of what I feel right now. And the truth is that that what happens here is very significant. To hear Scripture, to read Scripture in your devotion, to have an encounter with the Spirit when you're singing in worship, I mean, that's very significant. But lasting life change doesn't just come in those moments. Those moments are to lead to something. They're to lead to an application of truth, a new way of thinking, a different action. We are to do something in response to what we hear. And that's when life change comes. So I'm all for Sundays. I'm all for worship services. I I think about this and prepare for this all week long. I'm into this as much as anybody here. But this has limitations for life change. It is to equip us. We're to encounter God so that we then go and apply truth throughout our daily lives. And that's where the real life change takes place. Not just by being a good hearer, but by being a doer. That's the point of the analogy James uses here. Verse 23, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, okay, that's a hearer only. If someone just hears and does not do, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So he says to come and hear a sermon And to leave and not respond or apply what you hear, or to have a devotional, read your Bible in the morning or at night or whenever you have your your devotions, and read the Bible, and then not have any tangible way of applying that in your life. He says, that's what this is like. It's like someone who wakes up in the morning and looks into a mirror. So when you wake up in the morning, uh, you know, there's just been damage from the night before. That's reality. You're only sleeping, but you wake up and look and go, wow. How could this kind of ugly happen in eight hours, you know? Uh, so you look at it, and it's assessing. The, so he said, it's like someone who assesses the damage, looks in, sees the hair is in serious trouble, if that applies to you, and uh, guys, and then uh, seeing that there's things that need to happen on the face, and maybe even the supplies are there. There's a brush and a comb, and there's water and soap and a washcloth that could be applied. Or if you're a lady, there's makeup around. Uh, there's, a, there's a razor, guys. There's things that could be applied to 
to improve the circumstances, okay? To sort of do the best we can with what we have. But it's like looking in the mirror, and you know what's interesting? This is something that I've missed when I've thought about this before. He says, verse 23, it's like someone who looks intently in the mirror. So the illustration is not that you get up and just sort of wake up and glance in the mirror and walk off. That's not the illustration. This is not applying, it's not an analogy applying to people who sleep during the sermons. He's not saying, hey, be a good hearer. He's talking about somebody that's really listening. Okay, this is somebody paying attention. This is the person taking notes. That's good. This is the person taking notes. This is the person leaning forward a little bit. This is the person listening, looking intently. So this is, <laughs> but, but assessing and getting an accurate assessment of the problem, but not doing anything about it. And so he looks, he sees, he does nothing about it. And then it says, verse 24, he goes away forgets what he was like. So he just walks out. That may be apparent to other people that it doesn't even seem like you looked in the mirror based on how you looked this morning, but other people may say, I don't know, but this guy looked, he just didn't make any changes. And so he went through the day, you know, messed up. So it's like someone who looks in the mirror and doesn't make any changes. So listening without responding like this leads to deception. But listening and doing leads to blessing. See, this individual who looks and walks away and forgets, he lives his day like everything's okay, like he looks fine, like everything's just great. He just assumes that everything's okay because he forgot what he really looked like because he didn't do anything about it. So he's deceived. He's the guy walking around who thinks he looks good and he doesn't. By the way, that's about all the male population anyway. That's a pretty general statement. Every guy thinks he looks good, and most don't. But, but this is an illustration about cleaning up. He thinks everything's fine, but he's still a mess. On the other hand, the person who listens and acts will be blessed, verse 25. The one who looks into the perfect law, now he changes it, looks into the scripture and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So this individual looks into the law, the scripture, the law of liberty. He looks into the Bible, looks like the mirror analogy, and it says he perseveres. The NIV says he continues to look. So he looks and he's continuing to look it says, and it says that he is not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. This individual looks and acts, looks and continues to look, perseveres, doesn't walk away and forgets, but continues to look, is always looking, is looking into this, the law of liberty, the scripture, and he acts, and he looks, and he acts, and the Bible says he'll be blessed in his doing. So he's not going to walk away deceived, He's going to walk away blessed. He's going to be blessed by God to what? Well, the Word of God, verse 21, is able to save your souls. It is able to allow us to grow in our salvation, to grow in our sanctification, sanctification, to mature. He's going to be changed. He's going to be blessed by God with life change. Now, his circumstances may be difficult. I don't think be blessed in the Bible necessarily always means things are rosy circumstantially. But the blessed individual is the one who's connected to God, who knows God, who fears God, who's encountering God, who's being changed by God. That's the blessed person. And so that individual will be blessed as he goes and acts. So do you see the pattern? There's two guys here. The first man looks, leaves, forgets, and is deceived. 
He looks, he looks intently. He's a good, good looker, good listener. He looks, he leaves, he fails to act, and he forgets, and he's deceived. Here's the second guy. He looks, he continues to look, he acts, and he's blessed in what he does. He looks and continues to look, he acts, continues to look, acts, and he is blessed in what he does. It's just an analogy that he uses to make this point that it is dangerous to be a hearer only, but it is a tremendous blessing to be one who hears and acts. Now, I do want to comment on this language. He changes from the word. We're talking about the word, the word, the word. And then he uses this language, the law, the perfect law, verse 25, the law of liberty. The law of liberty. What is he talking about there when he talks about looking into the, uh, the law of liberty. Well, for the person who is a Christian, who has trusted Christ as their Savior, this book is a law that brings liberty. This book is a law that brings freedom. This is a book that announces freedom and teaches us how to live in freedom, and it's all about walking in liberty. When we read the book of James, I think oftentimes when we're, when we're looking for Christ and the gospel, sometimes it's a little hard to see where, where the Savior appears in this book, quite frankly. I think Christ is only mentioned a few times in the letter overall. But it's these type of places. James is not a moralist. James is preaching the gospel here. And, and it's these kind of places where we get a glimpse into this, to the Savior when he uses words like liberty. Well, where does liberty come from in the Bible? What is this law of liberty, the word that brings freedom? Well, does the word bring liberty for everyone? The word is not freeing for the unbeliever. As a matter of fact, this is not a word of liberty to the unbeliever. This is a word of judgment. This is a word that says you are under the wrath of God. If you are not a believer, you are under the condemnation, the wrath of God. But if you've believed in Jesus Christ, this is a word of freedom because it announces to you that Jesus Christ, the God-man, has died in your place. He has obeyed this law perfectly, and he's fulfilled it completely for you. That is good news. If you believe in Jesus, his record, which is perfect law obedience, is credited to you. And God relates to you as one who's obeyed perfectly. And not only that, but he dies for your, our sins. He gives his life, an innocent one, dies on the cross, pays for our sins. God, pours, God the Father pours out his wrath upon God the Son, who dies in our place. And then he's buried, and the third day he comes alive to defeat the power of sin. So if you believe in him, your sins are forgiven. You identify with him in his death. Your sins are forgiven. He's obeyed in your place. So God views you as a law keeper, not a law breaker, because of Christ. And he's broken the power of sin to rule and reign over us. So we're not slaves of sin anymore. We're slaves of Christ. We're really free. God, it, God works in our lives so that we're free from the power of sin. So this is a word, a law, a teaching, a, a, a scripture, the word of liberty, the word that announces liberty, the word that brings liberty. That is the gospel. The gospel is all about liberty, freedom from from our own selves, our own sin, freedom from the world, the flesh, and the devil, the Scripture says. Their, their chains are broken from us. And we come under the loving lordship of Jesus Christ with His own Spirit living in us and His own Word to teach and feed, guide and direct us. That's freedom. That's liberty. 
And so the person who looks at this truth, this liberty, and thinks about it and sort of chews on it and then seeks to apply it a little bit at a time and then comes back and continues to persevere and keep looking, that person will be blessed with glorious life change. But the person who may look very godly and spiritual on the outside, may have the thickest Bible in the room, may have the most underlines in the room, may have the largest personal library in their, in their home of Christian books, may have more uh, sermons on their iPod than any of us in the room, that person, if they're not acting on what they're hearing, then, then they are deceived. Because they think fat iPods and big libraries and marked up Bibles and perfect attendance at church equals life change. I'm all for marked up Bibles and sermons and iPods and big libraries, but if they're read and applied, that's the key. That's the key that he's talking about here. And it's just so easy to deceive ourselves. I mean, I'll go to a conference, and I'll just have a great experience, and I just think, everything's changed. And I'll take my conference notebook full of notes and put it on the shelf and move on to the next thing. I mean, how many times have I done that where I really haven't faithfully applied? I had a great weekend. Gave everybody a high five, sang some great songs. But I'm not sure that I really encountered in an ongoing application in my life, if I didn't seriously think through, what does that look like and make some plans for change? So with that in mind, let me make a couple of comments as we close here just about application. I mean, let me give you some application about application. Um, And let me make some application about Sundays because this is a place that we hear the Word of God every Sunday. And you pray for your pastors that you continue to hear faithful teaching from the Word of God. We want to bring you the Word of God every Sunday, and so let's pray that that continues. But when you hear a sermon, or this applies when you read the Scripture as well, but first of all, if we're looking into the perfect law of liberty, let's always listen for the gospel. Let's always listen for the person of Christ. I believe God brings conviction of sin. I I pray He brings conviction of sin when when you hear sermons. But if you walk out of here primarily aware of sin and not aware of Jesus, then the scripture, the law of liberty has not had its place. We should be aware of sin. We should be convicted of sin. We should grieve more than we do about our sin, but that should lead us to embrace the Savior, to cry out to the Savior, and to walk out with hope of forgiveness and power to change, that we hate the sin and we love the Savior. So look for the Savior and listen for the Savior, and what can you learn about Christ each Sunday? Because the power for change ultimately comes by absorbing the Scripture, the perfect law of liberty, by looking at the person of Christ, listening to the Word of Christ. We're transformed as we act in response to Him. But we want to see Him. And that's why our sermons are a lot about God and not a lot about 40 things that you're supposed to do right now, but a lot about Him, and then we want to apply from that. Secondly, be focused in your application. The sermon may make a lot of points and may touch different areas of your life, but focus on a truth that you can respond to. Apply one truth from Scripture to one part of your life. If you go out of here with one point of application, that's huge. That's huge. Don't walk out of here with ten points of application because you won't do ten points of application. You'll forget it. Walk out of here with one point... Ask this question. At the end of the sermon, so what? What is God calling me to do? How am I to think differently? How am I to act? What relationship do I need to adjust? What do I need to 
how do I, where do I, is he calling me to repent? Where do I need to respond to what I'm hearing today? If you take notes, that's a good practice, but, but just be clear about taking notes. The goal is not to write down all the stuff that's being communicated. I mean, it's not like school where there'll be a test and you'll need to give back everything that was communicated about the context and about, you know, about this word and, and that point and that illustration. Now, if writing it down helps you to be a better hearer, then write down everything. Some people, as they write, they may never go back and read the notes, but it's still worth it because they're, they're like visual and so they hear something, but as they write it, it crystallizes and solidifies in their heart. So if you're that person, even if you don't go back and look at your notes, that's a helpful practice if it helps you to be a good hearer. But if you just think there's going to be a test on if you're like still think this is, you know, uh, 10th grade uh, history class or whatever, it's just not. There will be a test, but it won't be how many notes you have. The test will be, what did you do? That's, if there's a test, it's just different. So write down one thing and be responsible for that rather than six pages of stuff you never look at, okay? So I would say, write down what's helpful for you, but if you just write down what you learned about Christ, and a couple of bullet points and something you want to do, I think that's fantastic. Now, I do take down notes. I try to write down a fair bit, but, I, but ultimately, it's to help me crystallize what I'm hearing in the message and thinking about. Try to get a point that you will apply. That's the focus. Walk out of here with something. And with that something, um, Ask God to help you apply that. You might even communicate that something. That's one reason in our care groups that we frequently talk about the Sunday sermon. Because we're concerned that everybody not just gather more information, but that we take what we heard and we talk specifically about how we can apply it. And then we pray for one another and how to apply it. And we say, how did, what difference does that make in our lives? That's one of the reasons is because we want to be hearers and doers of God's Word. So that's a little bit about listening. Anticipate God speaking to you and write something down. One sentence of truth that's acted upon is far better than 10 pages of notes, for sure. Uh, and number three, continue, this is the last thing, continue to look and act. This guy that's blessed continues. He perseveres in his looking. He doesn't forget, but he acts. He continues. He looks, he does. He looks, he does. He looks, he does. Here's, here's what happens. When you hear a truth, when God speaks to you something from the Scripture and you act upon it, what happens is you hear and you do, God helps us, and then He gives us some more. And then we hear and we do. I find that when I respond, God just speaks more to me. You just learn more. There's grace to change. It's kind of like a snowball. This hearing and doing is like a snowball down a hill. It just The more you hear and do, the more God speaks truth to you to hear and do, I find. It's just a principle that as we persevere in God's word, we're blessed. He changes us. So we look and do, we look and do, we look and do. The more we respond to truth, the more truth God illumines to our hearts so that we can respond to more, so we can respond to more truth. We continue to consider the matter God is speaking to us. So as you're walking out of here today, I mean, the point of, I mean, we didn't really have a subject to apply. We had application to apply, so that's a little bit different. But as we're, you're walking out of here today, think about what is it? How in your devotional life might God change you, call you? Maybe it's even that point. Maybe it's writing down one thing that you're going to try to respond to or pray about from your devotions instead of just reading and walking out of the room and forgetting. So maybe that's it. Maybe you're going to write down one thing that you're praying about or you're reading about. Or maybe it's the way you, apply, way you respond to the Sunday sermon. 
Or maybe you want to write something down and, you know, you want to start talking about it with your spouse or your family and family devotions or your friends or whatever it is. But what is it that God is telling you that how you can be a better doer by his grace? As you look into his gospel, the law of liberty, God will change you. So we want to be a church made up of hearers and doers. And we want to pass this on to the next generation as well. We want to ensure that those growing up in our midst are not hearers only. It's very easy when you grow up in the church to hear truth all your life and think because you are hearing truth that you are a Christian. And so many kids grow up in the church, many in the evangelical church, grow up in the church and then leave their childhood faith and their adulthood. Why is that? It's because they were hearers only. They never had the word really implanted in them. Everybody just assumed they were a Christian because they were a good kid and went to church. They never really had the word of God implanted in them. They never really believed. And then they never really, from their heart, wanted to respond to God. They were just working out a list of rules that mom and dad gave them. So we want to help our, the next generation, our children, learn to be hearers and doers by having, in, in, trying to evaluate, are their hearts sensitive to the word of God and are they wanting to respond to God on their own? And if they're not, we want to help them with that and we want to pray for their conversion and we want to trust God with that and we want to help them grow and apply just as we're trying to grow and apply as well once they are Christians. But we want to ensure that the next generation is not hearer only because the church can be a one-generation group of people. If it's hearers and doers at one level and hearers only at the next level, you'll have deceived people. And we don't want that. We want to be a blessed people, serving the Lord, honoring Him. So let's pray that God will help us to be these kinds of folks by His grace for His glory. Lord, we want to be these people who hear and do. We don't want to be those who hear only, and we recognize that tendency in our hearts. So guard us, protect us, and help us to be those who apply your truth to our lives. And make us a church family. Lord, I thank you for all the folks in the church that apply truth. Lord, it's a, it's a, it's a convicting to be around many folks in our church and to learn from them. But we pray throughout our church we would be people that are applying your truth Lord, help us to look for you in the Scripture. Help for us to look for the gospel truth in the Scripture. Help us apply the Scripture in our lives. And help us to come back for more. And Lord, we pray that we would, we would be blessed in our doing, that you would conform us as a people, as a church, to the image of Christ. We pray that for the next generation too, that you would work in the young hearers, and that we would have young hearers and doers and old hearers and doers, and that we would be those who are honoring you and pleasing you by taking your word seriously. Lord, help us to do what we write down. Help us to do what we hear. Help us to do what we repent in our heart of. Help us to do what you speak to us. And Lord, we just need your grace for this. We just need your help, your power. We need the help of the body of Christ. We need, we need help, and we trust you for it, and we believe you will help us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.